December 28th, last show of the year. Uh, Pudgy is kind enough to let me 
Rocco P., Rocco Pisertia, host the show the last Sunday night each month. I deeply appreciate him letting me do that. Uh, we will be taking calls. Uh, we'll probably take them probably after about 20, 20 minutes or so. That call number is, the number to call in is 619-638-8559, 619-638-8559. I would like to talk about the Sony hack. Uh, this this story, it, it's got a lot of play in the media, and there's a lot of angles to it. Uh, one of the things, as always, is, you know, why... Was there so much information? Why was so much attention given to this particular story? Okay, why? Why was it so big? I think there's a few reasons why that as we flesh it out, and then also what is the response? Uh, what is anytime there's something major, anytime there's a major event in the news, anytime they're pushing something, you see the same the same story. And it won't go away for a while. There's normally a bigger picture. There's normally an agenda. There's normally something that someone's trying to do. And normally that involves some type of response by the government, the way uh, the way the powers that be want us to respond, the way they want us to act. Uh, perhaps some legislation uh, that they might want a uh, they want may want to create the need or uh, a certain type of outrage or a certain type of understanding by the public to accomplish what they want. It was Rahm Emanuel, who was formerly uh, President Obama's chief of staff, and Rahm's nickname was The Bull. That gives you a little idea about what his personality was like, Rahm the Bull Emanuel. And Rahm Emanuel is an elitist. Okay, I say that without any jealousy, without any... Uh, to use a biblical word, any covetousness without coveting what he said. But this is a guy who previously worked for Goldman Sachs. He was making upwards of $20 million a year. Very powerful individual. Uh, there were stories when he was Obama's chief of staff that he used to get in his face on a fairly regular basis. I don't know if that's why he's no longer chief of staff. But there's, uh, the indication seemed to be when he was in the White House, he was running the show. And Rahm the Bull Emanuel had uh, one of his many uh, notable lines, one of the quotes that he said that's caught on. He kind of like summarizes or reflects an elitist point of view. And what Rahm the Bull Emanuel said was, never let a good crisis go to waste. Never let a good crisis go to waste. So think about that. Think about this so-called Sony hacking crisis and the fact that the powers that be uh, probably do not, I could say, I think they definitely do not want it to go to waste. So first off, when we talk about the Sony hack, think about the timing. Think about the timing. Uh, they had this movie called The Interview that was going to come out, and it was a satire about an assassination plot against uh, the uh, the leader of North Korea, Kim Jong-un. Okay, so... As as the story developed when they found out about the hack, initially the hackers said it had nothing to do with preventing the interview from coming out. That had nothing to do. But the story morphed. It changed to be that, well, this is it's North Korea. And again, we'll look at the proof that, that's been offered to say it was North Korea. But then the story that they wanted us to accept was 
It was North Korea behind the Sony hack. And the reason they did it is that they were they were infuriated, they were upset, uh, were angered by this movie, the interview that made fun of their great leader. Now, when you look at the what goes on to back up and you think about Korea, it uh, it is a communist dictatorship. I mean, the U.S. the U.S. I mean, in our country, we're getting there slowly, and I say that not just because of the Obama White House. If you look at what's happened to the U.S. presidency post-World War II, you can even go back to the war between the states. Slowly, slowly, we've seen the office of the presidency transformed into a dictatorship. No, it's not like North Korea. Not quite yet. But the president in our own country has become more and more powerful. After World War II, they had passed the National Security Act that established really a permanent state of war for our nation that established the Joint Chiefs of Staff that made the OSS, the Office of Strategic Services and Military Intelligence uh, Company organization, that made it permanent, and they called it the CIA, the Central Intelligence Agency. Then they changed the, the, uh, the cabinet position, the Secretary of War. They made that permanent. They called it the Secretary of Defense. So all these things have happened, and the president has become more and more powerful over time. But no, it's not like North Korea. When Kim Jong-il died in North Korea, you, you had all these, these videos are out there. You, you could you could search them. You could do a StartNet page search. Uh, I don't recommend the other guy. I won't say it for a search engine. Uh, but you could do a start page search. You could say, mourning, mourners for Kim, Kim Jong-il. And you just see tons of people in public mourning. And evidently, it was illegal if people did not mourn. I guess they they had to do it in public. So there's no doubt that North Korea is an oppressive regime uh, technologically. They're backwards. That's you know, as, as they've suppressed the free market. This is what happens. You may have seen some of the photos all over the Internet when you see North Korea and South Korea at night. And there's not too many lights on in North Korea. There's less power. <laughs> so North Korea is not a good place. So please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not being an apologist. I'm not defending North Korea. The, the issue with the Sony hack, in my mind, is was North Korea guilty? Is there really evidence, yes or no? And if not, then, once again, what is the agenda? Why do the powers that be, why have they crafted or sold us this story that North Korea was the one that wanted to hack Sony. So all, all this stuff came out, and initially, again, the uh, the hackers, the people that did it, and they did not identify with North Korea. They said nothing about the interview. But you know, then, then the narrative, the story started to change. The FBI said they did confirm at one point. They claimed it was North Korea. Okay, and again, their storyline was Kim Jong, Kim Jong Un was. Uh, obviously upset, if not humiliated or infuriated over this movie, and this is what the whole thing was about. But does that really match what happened? Does that really match the activities of the hackers? And as always, you know, what is, what, what's the evidence? Well, what did they come up with? So I'm, I'm looking at a piece that was published on December 19th. Okay, and this was, uh, this was what the FBI said. Quote, North Korea's actions were intended to inflict significant harm on a U.S. business and suppress the right of American citizens to express themselves. Such acts of intimidation f 
fall outside the bounds of acceptable state behavior. And they said there were three components or three parts of the hack. They convinced the FBI that North Korea was behind it. They said elements in the code, the computer code or the malware, they said that was similar to other known North Korean attacks. They said some of the IP addresses used in the attacks were the same as an attempted North Korean attack attacks on U.S. government computers. They said some of the elements of the hacking programs were the same as an attack on South Korean banks and media, which were known to be from the North. So they, the FBI concluded in their statement by promising to impose costs and consequences for the attack, but then it did not say what those costs and consequences would be. So they say, okay, the FBI has spoken, Federal Bureau of Investigation in our country speaks speaks about this, and they say it's them, and so now something has to be done. Okay. The government always gives us these false choices. I shouldn't say always, often. Often gives us these false choices. And what do I mean by false choice? Heads I win, tails you lose. Heads I win, tails you lose. The classic example is the two-party system. And of course, there are differences between the parties, but it's largely those differences are largely cosmetic or in rhetoric. It's not in the substance. That's why it doesn't matter. Uh, it seems it never matters, particularly in Washington. It doesn't matter who gets in. It doesn't matter who has the White House. It doesn't matter who has Congress. The same agenda continues. So I'm not saying I'm not being, I'm not being defeatist. I'm not saying don't vote. I think we should vote. Voting helps keep them uh, more honest because they know we're watching. But the agenda, you know, what, what, what they actually accomplish, things don't seem to change much over time. Uh, that, that's just the reality. One, one, of, one of the great examples of that in passing, not, not to you know, just beat up uh, President Obama, but it, it is a great example of many. Uh, many people will say uh, Americans accused of being cynical, saying all politicians lie, though. People say that about politicians, I'm sure, around the world, in all different countries. But you look at President Obama, you might remember there was a debate, focus on one issue here, just as an illustration. There was a debate when he was running, first time he ran for president, Okay, going back then to 2008. Okay, 2008. And there was a debate about holding, uh, holding people that were, uh, that were arrested, people that were detained, from uh, from the conflict, particularly in Afghanistan and in Iraq, taking those those uh, they'd call them enemy combatants, taking them to Guantanamo Bay in Cuba. Okay, Guantanamo Bay in Cuba. There's uh, there's a base there that the U.S. has that you know Cuba doesn't like it, but the United States government has had it. Yeah, after Fidel came to power, they had that base. They never surrendered it. Evidently, I remember reading years ago, the U.S. would send Cuba a check each year for use of that base, and Cuba would never cash it. So they don't like that. But the the, the part of the reason, the legality of this, is that if you had these people, these so-called enemy combatants, raises a lot of questions. Again, how were they? You know, what were they doing when they were when they were caught in all this? And uh, a lot of people would say the reason no trials were ever involved isn't just because they're applying the rules of war to them. And some people would say, well, they were non-state actors and all that. Okay, so that, that's it's a different area. But the point is Obama came in and he said, you know, we're, we're going to shut down Guantanamo Bay as far as a holding facility. We're going to shut down 
Guantanamo Bay. I'm going to shut down Gitmo for holding these enemy combatants. We're not going to send them there anymore. I remember talking to a friend of mine at the time, and he was very committed at the time since he's changed his ways to you know the moral superiority of the Republican Party. And again, I'm I'm a Republican, but I have no illusions about how people in power, particularly leaders, view us. You know, they view us as slaves, they view us as serfs, and again, they have the same agenda. But I remember talking with a friend of mine. We had a we had a, a very lively discussion where I was telling him um, there was no way Obama would ever close Guantanamo Bay to to the, for these uh, for these so-called enemy combatants. And uh, they made that a great fake debate because as the U.S. pretty much, when you look at total military spending, it's it's ama- they're amazing numbers because that includes like you know you, you look at the bases in I think like 190 countries or, or whatever. So what they clump, what they categorize as defense is just I mean it's astronomical, it's, it's unbelievable. But in general, the U.S. the U.S. expenditure, the U.S. spending on defense is equal to the rest of the world's. I mean that includes Russia. The Russian Federation, Russia and China. So it's, it's mind-boggling. But they always have these fake debates that you know they want to say, well, the Democrats are soft. Democrats are soft on national security. Democrats are soft on defense. <laughs> the spending never stops. The bases never close. But but President Obama promised he would close Gitmo, and that never happened. And part of the reason I didn't think he would is because this idea of holding people for indefinitely, indefinite detention. It's really part of how the war on terror has progressed. And President Bush you know, was doing this. They came with this idea of calling U.S. citizens enemy combatants. They created this legal, this legal fiction, this legal nonsense that if someone, if a U.S. citizen, then is even planning to attack the U.S., then they lose all their rights. So this became enshrined in the 2012 NDAA, National Defense Authorization Act, every two years told to the spirit of the Constitution. The Constitution did not prohibit a standing army, but it basically said every two years there's going to be money spent on the military. that have to be a vote. So, again, they redefine what is actually defense, and obviously with, with the cessation of war, if there isn't declared war, then the Constitution says we should have a navy. I mean, that's it. So they go through this, they go through this, this show every two years, to get spending for what they consider defense. But they need they need Guantanamo Bay because they need these what they call special rendition centers. They need these places to store to hold enemy combatants indefinitely. And that includes potentially URI. That's what happened in twenty twelve with the National Defense Authorization Act. They had provisions that said any US citizen who would be declared an enemy combatant could be held indefinitely or actually even executed without due process, meaning if someone was just suspected of being a terrorist, you'd go away. Okay. So I didn't think Obama would close Gitmo, and of course he didn't. That was a great fake debate. So when we get back to the cybersecurity and what's happened with Sony, this is, a, this is another great fake debate where they give us a false choice. They want to say that, well, if you care about security, then uh, you don't want to be soft on this. You know, the government has to do something. Okay, whenever, whenever they say that, whenever you hear someone, particularly if they work for a federal government, and they say, well, something has to be done, yeah, get ready. Because normally what they're saying is that means 
we're about to either lose some more of our rights or they're going to co- it's going to cost us more money. It's going to be either more taxes or we're going to lose our rights. They have to do something. You, you hear that you hear that great fake debate that gives great fake choice to with Obamacare. You see that time and time again when Obama came up with that. Okay, and remember, they tried this with Hillary Clinton. They tried national health care. They didn't have enough political juice to get it over the top. So, you know, when they want something done in D.C., it just never goes away. And that's what we're seeing now with cybersecurity, and that's the angle with the Sony hacking thing. Yeah, you've had bills in the past. We'll talk about SOPA. Okay, SOPA died. You had CISPA. It died. Never goes away. Like, you got these zombie bills for these agendas. They always come back. So, I'm talking about national health care, okay, whether you like it or not, and I hope you don't, because we're all basically going to pay more and get less, and they're going to push us towards a single-payer system. But the, the point of that illustration with health care is this. Republicans get up there, and initially the, the position was, okay, we're going we're gonna to repeal Obamacare. We're going to repeal the patient Protection and Affordable Care Act. And, of course, it has nothing to do about protecting us as patients or affordable care. It's just the reverse. It always is. It's like the Patriot Act. Nothing to do with patriotism. I mean, Patriot Act says you commit a misdemeanor, then you get classified as a, terror, as a terrorist, and that puts you in all these different categories. When they name these pieces of legislation, it's got nothing to do with what they say. That's part of the mind control. That's how they deceive us. But they give us this great false choice to Obamacare, too. Left, they play left versus right. And then they say, well, the government has to do something. I mean, if you don't like Obamacare, what's, what's the Republican response? So then Willard Mitt Romney, right after the Supreme Court, magically found that Obamacare was constitutional because it was a tax. And, of course, that was, complete, that was com- a complete fabrication. That was a total and utter lie. The Supreme Court's been wrong before. You might be familiar with the Dred Scott case. Dred Scott case said, guess what? Back in the day, 1800s, they said slavery is legal. And the legal reasoning the Supreme Court of the United States said at the time is that because uh, slaves are property. Therefore, we want to protect property rights. <laughs> so, so you better be really careful if you think, number one, the Supreme Court is going to protect your rights. Number two, the Supreme Court is the ultimate arbiter of truth. That's, that's not the way. That's not the way the system was set up, all right? Constitution isn't that long. You read it through. Courts are basically the weakest branch of the federal government. Congress should be at the head. But again, we're moving towards this imperial dictatorial presidency. So they give us this false choice. Give us this false choice to Obamacare. And they say, well, you're against it. The Republicans have to do something. Always be careful when they tell you that because they're they're giving you that false choice again. They're saying, heads I win, tails you lose. You look at the Constitution, it's real clear. There's no and no no authority for the federal government to to be involved in health care. There's no authority for the federal government to be involved in education. (laughs) It's not there. There's no authority for the federal government to be involved in the environment. And President Nixon, a Republican, a Republican, started the EPA in the early 70s by an executive order, and they won't get rid of it. You know, they're shutting down clean coal-burning power plants. They won't get rid of it. But they give us these false choices. And this is, this, is, this is great with Obamacare. You say, well, if you're against it, then what are you going to do? And the constitutional response, the logical response is absolutely nothing. Let, 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 the, let the free market take care of it. But we get addicted. It's like the frog in the kettle. They get us addicted to these programs. They get us addicted to government help. 
which may have appeared good at one point, but now we know uh, it's very, very deceptive. It's very destructive because it's making people dependent. It's making people dependent upon the government. If the government was out of health care, we wouldn't have to worry about uh, all these. Think about the, regula- the, regulator- the regulatory cost, the cost of regulation. Talk to anyone, anyone who's involved in healthcare, anyone involved in the doctor's office, and talk about coding, this whole idea of coding. Coding, how much money is spent just because there's, there's this, this cost? You have to comply with regula- regulation and insurance because the government's involved. You get the government out, all those costs go away, and you get back to having a relationship between the patient and the doctor. So don't, uh, don't believe them when they tell you. Whenever, whenever they say, well, yeah, the Democrats haven't done this, what are the Republicans going to do? Or the Republicans have done this, what are the Democrats? Never, never believe that choice, because what they're saying in the end, think about the mentality of that. In the end, they're saying the state, the government, has to be involved. There has to be a solution. And I say, no, no. Uh, the government the government is often the problem. The government creates creates un artificial barriers between buyers and sellers. The government creates artificial barriers uh between any business and whoever's trying to sell a product or a service. Uh the government undermines our liberties. In the in the alleged attempt to protect us, then we lose our liberties. Again, classic example with Obamacare. They're gonna say, okay, they say there's a problem. There's there's people that are uninsured, okay, and uh, okay. So there's people that are uninsured. So your solution is if someone chooses not to buy health insurance, your solution is under the individual mandate. And we could thank Jonathan Gruber for that. He he was the architect. He was the architect of that, incidentally, in Massachusetts with Romney Care. And then who's the the architect, the individual mandate at the national level with Obamacare. So you're going to say, okay, you're the individual. You don't have health insurance. All right. The government's going to say, well, I'm going to make it better on you because I'm going to pass a law saying you have to buy insurance. And then if you don't, then you're going to get fined. So how is anyone healthier if they don't have money to spend on health insurance or they choose not to? How are they healthier if they still refuse to comply and pay a fine? How are, how are how does that make someone healthy? How how is that helping individuals? So they, they 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 continue to spin this to give us this version of reality, which isn't true. It's kind of like when I lived in New Jersey. Uh, we in New Jersey, much more oppressive state than North Carolina, and yeah, North Carolina has uh, you know there's some things I would change about North Carolina. Uh, like most states, they really North Carolina. The legislature doesn't stand up to the federal government, right? That's uh, that's a that's a big thing. They continue to say, well, anything they pass in Washington, we got to comply with. Not true, not true. Check out the Tenth Amendment. Not true. But in any case, when I was in New Jersey, the state controlled the Department of Motor Vehicles, Division of Motor Vehicles, and one of the most horrendous and horrible experiences you could have is when you had to get your car inspected because you had to go to a state inspection center, and it was always it was never quick. It was always long. And the people there really did not, those civil servants, did not have a helpful spirit of customer service. They they did not create a positive atmosphere for you, the consumer, for you, the driver. And part of it is uh, you had to do it. 
So you didn't do it, then uh, obviously there would there would be a you know there'd be some fines involved, and they could eventually take your car. So when they knew they had you, know, you'd show up. They'd force you to do it, and you know when the government mandates you have to do something, you got to realize that there's a, there's not really an incentive for quality there. So what we see now, the big thing with Obamacare, again, this is written by the insurance companies. Okay? It was written by the big insurance companies. They tell us this is about government protecting the individual, not about government undermining the individual, government harming and hurting small businesses because it was written by the insurance companies. Because think about it. If you have a product or service, in this case, the service is health insurance. If you could pass a law, okay, you're an insurance executive, and you could pass a law that would mandate, that would force people to buy your service or pay a fine, that's pretty good for you. It's not good for the consumer, but that's good for you. So they give us, they give us these false choices. So now we get all the way back to the Sony hack. And uh, they say, well, the FBI claims North Korea has done it. So the government, there's got to be a response. Uh, there's got to be a response. What is, what is the government going to do? And I would submit, uh, number one, there is precious little proof that North Korea did it. And then number two, even if that was the case, the response is not necessarily at all more government. <laughs> that's that's not going to make things better. Think about how, how how they've spun this, what what they've tried to sell us on this. They've said the Sony hack is a matter of national security. I'm sure you've heard that phrase. They've said this is a matter of national security that Sony was hacked. Okay. You think about that. Okay, Sony Entertainment. Uh, the movie. Let's say let's say the narrative was true that this was it was designed to prevent the interview from being released. And of course it wasn't. And some people say, well, you know, the whole thing was just it was a marketing ploy. This was all simply about getting more people in the theaters. I think that was part of it. But I think there's there's a bigger bigger agenda than just uh, basically getting free publicity for a movie that most critics have said is pretty poor, uh, is not really that good at all. But what are they pushing? Okay, what are they pushing here? They say it's a matter of national security. Well, I would submit no. If all of Hollywood shut down, uh, if every movie studio and every television studio shut down, that would upset people. But it's not directly a matter of national security. I mean, the uh, national defense in terms of the preparedness of the United States, it's really not hindered if people can't watch any particular TV shows or movies. You think about that. So, so it's really not a matter of national defense. Now, it is indirectly because they use the entertainment industry to extract, to distract us. They use entertainment to distract us. A man named Edward Bernays, who is known as the father of public relations, uh, wrote many books. One that's still in print from uh, the early 20s was called Propaganda. Propaganda, and he was very clear about how small groups of people could really influence everyone else. And the media is just a wonderful tool that's used to distract us. So I'm not saying all forms of entertainment. I'm not saying they're inherently they're inherently corrupt. More and more, as the culture goes south, as the culture gets more corrupt, that's that's reflecting even driven by the entertainment industry, no doubt. I mean, anyone could say, you know, you're watching TV, everything gets more permissive. You know, that's it's bad. You know, that's bad. 
but the big picture isn't just the moral the moral filth that they present that people unfortunately consume. It's the amount of time and energy and effort that people devote to that uh, when there's serious things going on, particularly men, particularly men, their leaders. I know, uh, yeah, one, you know, Pudgy has Pudgy Miller has his passion about uh, you know he loves being a black father, and uh, every man who's a father should love being a father because you only got one shot, <laughs> you only got one chance again things right with your children. You only have so many years. And men, yeah, to beat up on men, uh, men put all this time into watching things that have no value. I mean, just being just being a participant. I mean, you, you think about football. Uh, people not only watch football, I mean, they play fantasy football, the hours they put into that. So did, did North Korea in the Sony hack, did they have the expertise to, 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 uh, to, to do this? Uh, I would say no. And I'm certainly not an expert, but other experts have said clearly that is that is not the case. No, that is not the case. The U.S. government also changed their tune, and uh, they had said in one piece on Fox News on 19th, they thought there was a good possibility there were other actors. They didn't say how, but they mentioned Iran, China, and Russia, who just happened to be obviously opposed to the U.S. So they were creating them as villains. Uh there was no evidence of a forced entry into into the Sony system, systems, so that would point strongly to an inside job that some credential was stolen. And the malware threads uh, cannot be proven. Just they can't say okay, because it's this type of malware. It was traced to North Korean actors. Just no proof. Uh, there's just no proof. Someone. Uh, some people had said, this was in the Fox News piece, official speaking on condition anonymity, said the attack originated outside North Korea, but they believe the individuals behind it were acting on orders from the North Korean government. So, again, it gets it gets more, it gets more ambiguous. They said with some of the data uh, and the malware, they said it had two destructive threads. It would overwrite the data. It interrupts it would interrupt these execution processes, such as computer startup functions. Again, does that mean because can they prove because it was a certain type of malware, it could be tied to North Korea? No. It was a real good piece on my site. I reposted para, my site's paradshift, P-A-R-A-D-S-H-I-F-T, paradshift.net, and it was from the Daily Beast. It was called No, North Korea Didn't Hack Sony. <laughs> no, North Korea Didn't Hack Sony. And... The gentleman who wrote that, his name is Mark Rogers. So, who who is Mark Rogers? What were, what's his credentials to speak about this? He's a principal security researcher for Cloud Cloudflare. That's a website organization and security company that's looking to save the internet. Uh, he has 20 years, almost 20 years experience in internet security. Uh, he had a decade managing the uh, UK operator Vodafone. Five years as CSO for real estate and assets management company in South Korea, and he uh, he's also the head secure the head of security at DEFCON. That's the world's largest hacker conference. So why did Mark Rogers say uh, North Korea did not do it? He says all signs point in another direction. All signs point in another direction. So you know his creds. The FBI came out. They said they did it, and uh, 
he breaks down the risk. He says, the first piece of evidence described in the FBI bulletin refers to the malware found while looking at it. So he said the malware found in the course of investigating the Sony hack bears strong similarities to malware found in other attacks attributed to North Korea. And his response is that may be the case, but it's, it is not remotely plausible evidence that the attack was therefore orchestrated by North Korea. Okay, so he says that. Strong similarities, but where does it come from? Then he said, even if these prior attacks were coordinated by North Korea, and that was never proven, and plenty of security experts, including him, doubted that, the fact that the same piece of malware appeared in the Sony hack is far from being convincing evidence the same hackers were responsible. He goes on to say the second bit of evidence the FBI gave is even more flimsy. This is what they said. The FBI also observed significant overlap between the infrastructure used in this attack and other malicious cyber activity in the U.S. in the U.S. government had previously linked directly to North Korea. For example, the FBI discovered that several Internet Protocol IP addresses associated with known North Korean infrastructure communicate with IP addresses that were hard-coded into the data deletion malware using the attack. So what they are saying is that the Internet addresses found after the Sony picture attack, Sony picture attack are known addresses that had previously been used by North Korea in other cyber attacks. To cybersecurity experts, the naivety of this statement beggars belief. In other words, he says it's ridiculous. Note to the FBI, just because a system with a particular IP or Internet protocol address was used for cybercrime doesn't mean that from now on, every time you see that IP address, you can link it to a cybercrime. Plus, while sometimes IPs can be permanent, at other times, IPs can last just a few seconds. Okay? It isn't the IP address the FBI should be paying attention to. Rather, it's the server or service that's behind it. So the, F- the FBI, of course, wouldn't release all the evidence. They, they never do. And th- they looked at these command and control addresses found in the malware. They looked at, at, at the plate, the countries they were found in. They looked at all of them, and uh, all but one of them were public proxies. And they said, when they when he checked the online IP IPs, he says they've been used by malware operators in the past. And he says, this isn't the least bit surprising. In order to avoid attribution, cyber criminals routinely use things like proxies to conceal their connections. No sign of any North Koreans, just lots of common or garden internet cyber criminals. Then Rogers went on to say, essentially everything we're being left, essentially we are being left in a position where we are expected to just take agency promises, FBI promises at face value. In the current climate, that is a big ask. Yes, yes, that that is a big ask. So, doesn't look like North Korea did it. So, that's the big question again. Why? Why is all this buzz? Why do they want this story? Why is this being pushed by the corporate media that it was North Korea? And then why is the FBI, why is the federal government easy? Why are they anxious to pin it on them? Okay, problem, reaction, solution. Problem, reaction, solution. The government creates or uses a a problem, going back to that quote by Rahm Emanuel. In other words, uh, never let a good crisis go to waste. They know when a particular problem either occurs or is orchestrated or caused by the government, then there'll be a certain reaction. Then, based upon that reaction, you're normally an emotional reaction. Something has to be done. 
Again, always be afraid, particularly when someone in the government says that something has to be done, or, or what's the government going to do? Then there's going to be a certain solution, and then that solution is what they've pre-planned. That is normally how things work in the government. So, who stands? Who stands to gain from this Sony hack? Okay, it uh, was North Korea. In all probability, there's no evidence, no evidence that, that's been presented that it's North Korea. So, what uh, what, what's the picture here? Okay, now I talked about this idea of problem, reaction, solution in the government, and I said the government could either cause the problem, or they can basically manipulate a problem, knowing that there's going to be a certain reaction. You do a little research. You know, I remember a couple of years ago, there was a uh, there was a virus out there uh, called Stuxnet. Stuxnet, S-T-U-X-N-E-T. Again, you can do a start page, startpage.com search for Stuxnet. When that happened with Stuxnet, at the time, uh, we were presented with this idea that, once again, the government had to do something because of this threat to our cybersecurity. This virus is out there. It's doing all these things. And then what happened about two years, I think the Stuxnet, that got reported around 2010 or so. About 2012, then it was confirmed. And some people in the new media, you call that the alternative media, which is really driven by the Internet. Really, we got the only unfiltered news we really got left, if you didn't, if you didn't see it yet, if you didn't figure it out. We got two. We got two sources left. The big one is the Internet. You look at the Drudge Report. The Drudge Report drives corporate news. And the corporate news dinosaurs, they hate that. They hate that CNN, MSNBC, Fox. They hate that. That one guy, Matt Drudge, particularly since he doesn't agree with their political worldview, that he is able to run or really manipulate or control the uh, – the main stories. And all he's just, if you've ever been to DrudgeReport.com, all he is, he's a, he's a news aggregator. That's all he does. In other words, he, he'll repost stories. He'll run his own headline to, to point out the story that at that moment is most important to him. That's all it is. He's just a news aggregator. But they hate the fact that one guy can draw attention to stories like that just, just, uh, just on his own. So we got this, we got this Stuxnet. Stuxnet uh, malware virus about 2010, 2012, they admitted, yeah, it was uh, the United States and Israel released Stuxnet. So yeah, that's that's stuff like that happens. The U.S. government was caught years after the fact releasing this virus, this malware. So it is not at all inconceivable. It's not outrageous. This isn't this isn't pure speculation to say could an agency like the NSA, could they have done the Sony hack? Yeah. Now, I still, I would still bet it was probably someone on the inside because everything that was done, because of the protocols and all that good stuff, because of the sophistications. It appears like they had to have, they had to have passwords to do what they did. So it gets more complex to say, no matter how sophisticated the hacker was, to do it all for it to completely have been outside. So I still think I would say, some people said it's. It was was probably a a disgruntled employee, or it could have been a disgruntled employee with uh, some help from friends in the NSA. It could have have been that way. Uh, We don't know, but we see the response. 
the response of this now is that people are calling all over the place for the U.S. to pass, the United States government to pass federal cybersecurity legislation. That's what they're calling for. Okay, People have said repeatedly, I'll read some quotes, uh, they need new, or the Congress reconvenes in January. They should jump the first order of business now because of this national security threat, because of this Sony hack. The first thing they should do when they reconvene should be cyber security legislation. Okay, cyber security legislation. This this has been proposed in the past. Uh, this has been proposed in the past. There were two bills, uh, really three bills, well, two versions, one in the House, one in the Senate, another one in the past that had been, uh, the people had responded. There had been massive grassroots protest, and a lot of that protest was led by an organization called the Electronic Frontier Foundation, EFF. So you want, might want to visit their website, EFF.org. And those those bills in the past, the first one was SOPA, the Stop Online Piracy Act. That was in the House. The Senate version was PIPA, or PIPA, the Protect IP Act. That was the Senate version. Okay. These came out. It would have given the federal government tremendous power over Internet content. And they were saying they needed to do this. They needed to do this because they always want to keep us safe. Okay. They always want to keep us safe. So... Why why did those bills go away? Again, because there was a massive outcrying. Then they tried it again after after SOPA and PIPA then died. Again, SOPA was the House version, and then Senate version was PIPA, Protect Internet Protocol Act, and SOPA was the Stop Online Piracy Act. Okay. Then they then it came back again. It was a zombie legislation. They had a new one came back, it was called CISPA. The Cyber Intelligence Sharing and Protection Act. Stuff never goes away. Back, there was a then-Senator Lieberman. Okay, you might remember Senator Lieberman. Really, really interesting guy. Okay, Senator Lieberman, then-Senator Lieberman was from Connecticut. And if you remember Senator Lieberman, he started out as a Democrat. Uh, if you might remember, he was, uh, he was Al Gore's running mate. So that was that was uh, that was your Lieberman, and then he ran as an independent, and he didn't change his position. What happened? A Democrat is a lot of independents in Connecticut. And Democrat, Democrat who won the Senate, uh, the Democrat nomination for Senate. Then he was anti-war. So Lieberman ran as an independent. He won, and then when John McCain ran, John McCain who ran against Barack Obama in 2008. The ex-Democrat then endorsed John McCain. So the whole, when you look at Joe Lieberman, that's that's one of the great angles on Joe Lieberman. When you look closely what he's done, he totally blows apart this idea of left versus right, Democrat versus Republican. But back in 20, 2010, he was interviewed by Candy Crowley on CNN about this SOPA bill. And uh, listen to what he says. You get you get. Uh, insight into his perspective about how he views, how much power he wants the government to have.
State of the Union with Candy Crowley, CNN Sunday Morning, 9 Eastern. You have an Internet bill. It's been called the Kill Switch uh, Bill that uh, would allow the president to seize control or shut down portions of the Internet uh, if uh, the U.S. was under some sort of cyber attack. I don't know if you've seen the Internet lately. There's a lot of people out there who think that what you are granting the president is absolute power to shut down freedom of speech. I mean, this is, that this is just over the top. No way. And total misinformation. I, I don't know whether people are intentionally peddling the misinformation. Here's the fact. Um, cyber war is going on in some sense right now. Our, our Civilian infrastructure, the, the internet that runs the electric grid, the telecommunications grid, transportation, all the rest is, is constantly being probed by nation states, by some terrorist groups, by organized criminal gangs. And uh, we need this capacity in time of war. We need the capacity for the president to say, um, internet service provider, we've got to disconnect the American internet from all traffic coming in from another foreign country, or we've got to put a patch on this part of it. The president will never take over. The government should never take over the Internet. And listen, we've consulted. Senator Collins and I are proposing this bill with civil liberties and privacy experts. This is a matter of national security. A cyber attack on America can do as much or more damage today by incapacitating our banks, our our, our communications, our, our, our finance, uh, our, our transportation as a conventional war attack. And the president, in, in catastrophic cases, not going to do it every day, not going to take it over. So I, I say to my friends on the Internet, relax. Take a look at the bill. And, and this is something that we need to protect our country. Right now, China, the government, can disconnect parts of its Internet in the case of war. We need to have that here, too. Then Senator Joe Lieberman tips his hand. Yeah. He, uh, he, he lets the world know how he feels about the United States and, uh, and our laws. If, uh, you see his morality. Did you catch his morality there? Uh, if China's doing it, then we should do it. That's great. That's great, Joe. China has a one-child policy. <laughs> this is the elitist mindset. I don't care again. If you're a Republican or Democrat in power, the majority of them have this this horrible mindset. Yeah, they don't respect us. They don't respect the highest law to land in the Constitution, and it's always more. It's always about more power. It's always about more power and controlling us. Talk about the Constitution. I'm going to quote the Fourth Amendment to the Federal Constitution, and a little history. When you look at the whole debate, what happened, how the uh, how the founders ratified the Constitution, the initial compact or Constitution was the Articles of Confederation. The Articles of Confederation was then that they they had they got rid of that and they gave us a new Constitution. Again, how that happened is a different discussion. But the point is, there was a big debate at the time between the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists. The Federalists were the people that wanted the new compact, and they were called Federalists because what they were proposing, unlike the Articles of Confederation, would have given more power to the federal government. In the Articles of Confederation, the federal government was much weaker and is under the Constitution. So then you had the debate with the anti-federalist people like uh, Patrick Henry. And they were very suspicious about, about expanding the power of the federal government under this new Constitution. So 
you could read the Federalist Papers and you could read the Anti-Federalist Papers. You get a good idea of the interplay then, the debate that happened. My point in saying all that is this. The U.S. Constitution would not have been ratified without the promise of, of the Bill of Rights. Okay, the Bill of Rights, the first ten amendments to the federal constitution. Because the Anti-Federalists had said we're very concerned that there may be a power grab, that certain things aren't said, and we want to make sure that the federal government keeps their hands off of those areas. And the Federalists had a ton of people like Alexander Hamilton said, hey, if it's not there, you don't have to worry about it. And the Anti-Federalists said, no, nah, I think we do have to be concerned. So the something like the Second Amendment talks about a right to keep and bear arms. It's a negative affirmation. What do I mean by that? It basically says this is something the federal government can't do. <laughs> Our rights are given by God. If you don't believe in God, you have rights because you're creating God's image, even if, even if you deny it because you're a human, you have natural rights. Okay, so the Fourth Amendment reads, that, reads like this. The right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated, and no warrants shall issue, but upon probable cause, supported by oath or affirmation, and particularly describing the place to be searched and the persons or things to be seized. All this, all this idea when they pushed cybersecurity, when they pushed, when SOPA and PIPA failed, and then they brought back with CISPA, the Cyber Intelligence Sharing and Protection Act, it's all about basically saying the U.S. government could compel private companies like Google, whomever, Facebook, to hand over all their data. And a lot of those big guys, I mean, they're, for all intents and purposes already, they're extensions of the federal government. They really are, in my opinion. You look at a lot of people work for Google. You know, there's, uh, look at some of their backgrounds as far as the NSA and all. So already extensions of the federal government, but that would then constrain them to not only hand over the data. They want this idea of an Internet kill switch, that they could just shut down sites at, at random, at will. And obviously, if you have an Internet-based business, that could kill your business. If 90% or... 100% of your business is over the Internet. They shut down your site. You're, uh, you're out of business while they do their investigation without a warrant. They want this kill switch. And, again, Joe Lieberman said it. And his morality just shows how perverse, you know, just how twisted and wicked his mind is, his reasoning is. If China did it, then the U.S. should be able to do it. But that's what's going on with this whole, with this whole, with this whole Sony hack thing. This is what they're pushing. White House Economic Council Director Jeff Zients. Uh, he said the Sony hack would require ongoing executive action by the president in order to protect federal government assets. And he says uh, there's a need to take this to the next level with the legislation. Then all the usual suspects, all the prominent criminals, start to chime in in Congress. Senate Intelligence Committee Chairman Dianne Feinstein echoed, saying, we must pass an information sharing bill as quickly as possible next year. Okay, Democrat, Republican, McCain. John McCain also called on Congress to, quote, finally pass long overdue comprehensive cybersecurity legislation in light of the Sony hack, a sentiment mimicked by Representative Jim Langeville, uh, Langevin, from Democrat from Rhode Island, co-chair of the House Cybersecurity Caucus. And Representative Langevin said the new Congress should act without delay to pass a comprehensive cybersecurity information sharing bill to allow the federal government to share what it knows about threats in cyberspace with the private sector and vice versa. And then we got Representative McCall of Texas 
and Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina. He also called on cybersecurity legislation being the top priority in January, while President Obama himself told ABC's David Muir on Wednesday, two weeks ago, Congress also needs to take up cybersecurity legislation that's been languish, languish, languishing for several years now. No, it's not been languishing. It was killed by massive popular support and opposition. <laughs> it should stay dead. And there we go. Now we got former White House Chief of Staff Rahm the Bull Emanuel. Remember, he said, never let a good crisis go to waste. That that's That is what they're doing. So, do we want the government? This is the real debate. Do we want to give the president or anyone in the federal government the power to shut down any website <laughs> based upon any suspicion? Do we want them to do that? Should the should the president have a kill switch? And what this is moving towards is you talk about China. In China, everyone needs. You can't just log on to the internet somewhere. You need you need a specific credential so they know who it is every time they're logging on. I don't, I don't want to live in a world like that. I mean, uh, already the NSA—they've admitted they're storing everything. Okay, that came out after after 2011. If you're familiar with what Snowden said, when Snowden's revelations haven't been a contract for the NSA, and his story is fascinating. Can't get into that. I mean, he he was a CIA operative in the past, so that's a really interesting story as far as how how he's able to do that. But the point is, everything Snowden set up to this point. This is all stuff we already knew. He just, to his credit, he drew attention towards it. Uh, but is it, they not? I mean, every every electronic communication is being stored. On top of that, horrible violation of our liberties. Do you really want the government to then have the power to shut down all or part of the Internet? Uh, do you want to then move towards a system? Do you want to move towards a place where they could do, they could do whatever they want? <laughs> I don't think so. I, I don't think... I think they have more than enough powers if it is about keeping us safe. Uh, they have more than enough power to do that. So beware, this is the way they're going to spin the Sony hack. This is the way they're going to spin it. Uh, it's about 9.03. Uh, I think Pudgy may be mad no one called in. It was 619-638-8559 to wrap up the show. Uh, it would have been great to uh, talk to anyone. I hope... Uh, Hope the listeners appreciate this material, but uh, please, please do not believe, do not believe the government when they say they need more power. Uh, they don't need any more power to keep us safe from ourselves or anyone else. They got enough powers. They need less power, and we need more liberty. Thank you much.
where laws were stern and justice stood. And people were behaving like they ought to good. There lived a little boy who was misled by another little boy, and this is what he said. Me and you tonight, we're gonna make some cash, robbing old folks and making the dash. They did the job, money came with ease, but one couldn't stop. It's like he had a disease. He robbed another and up, another and a sister and a brother. Tried to rob a man who was a DC undercover. The cop grabbed his arm, he started acting erratic. He said, keep still, boy, no need for static. Punched him in his belly and he gave him a slap. A little did he know the little boy was strapped. The kid pulled out a gun, he said, why'd you hit me? The barrel set straight for the cop's kidney. The cop got scared, the kid he thought to figure. I'll do years if I pull this trigger. So he cold dashed and ran around the block. Cop radios into another lady cop. He ran by a tree, there he saw the sister. Shot for the head, he shot back, but he missed her. Looked around good and from expectations, he decided he'd hit for the subway stations. But she was coming and he made a left. He was running top speed till he was out of breath. Knocked an old man down and swore he killed Sorry. him. Then he made his move to an abandoned building Ran up the stairs up to the top floor Opened up a door there, guess who he saw? Who? Dave the dope beast shooting dope Who don't know the meaning of water nor soap He said, I need bullets, hurry up, run The dope fiend brought back a spanking shotgun He went outside, but there was cops all over Then he dipped into a car, a stolen Nova Raced up the block doing 83 Crashed into a tree near university Escaped alive, though the car was battered Rat-a-tat tatted and all the cops got Ran out of bullets and he still had static Grabbed the pregnant lady and pulled out the automatic Pointed out her head, he said the gun was full of lead He told the cops, back off, for honey, here's dead Deep in his heart, he knew he was wrong So he let the lady go and he starts to run on Siren sounded, he seemed astounded And before long, the little boy got surrounded He dropped his gun, so went the glory And this is the way I have to end this story He was only 17 in a madman's dream The cops shot the kid, I still hear him scream This ain't funny, so don't you dare laugh Just another case about the wrong path Straight and arrow are your soldiers Good night. Knock him out the box, Rick. Knock him out, Rick.